0: Hey, I'm Nate Flax.
1: I'm Noah Longworth-McGuire. And this is Talking Lion. Talking Lion is a podcast focused on artist-to-artist conversation.
0: We're primarily artists, a duo called Sleeping Lion, but we've been lucky enough to write, produce, and hang out with so many incredible rising artists since we started our project.
1: Whether it's at sessions or parties or over cups of coffee, we've talked with our creative friends about everything. Music, life, love, and all the subtle complexities that come with being in the middle of a journey.
0: Talking line is about hitting record in these conversations and sharing them with you. There's no real structure, nothing really prepared, just friends talking about life and
1: what it's been like and where it's going. We recorded this episode with our new friend Ariana and the Rose. We met Ariana
0: the day we recorded this episode, but we've known her music since her collaboration with RKCB in 2017 on their song Love You Lately. We also attended her interactive show called Light in Space, but didn't wind up crossing paths that night.
1: Some context for this interview. Ariana was visiting LA from New York to work on new songs. She recently released her EP, Constellations Phase One, and has various projects in the works. Artistically driven with a communal
0: spirit, Ariana dazzles both coasts with her feel-good pop songs and her interactive interstellar shows. So,
1: without further ado,
2: I'm Ariana and the Rose, and this is Talking Lion. Hello.
0: Hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm
2: good. How are
0: you? It's funny because we, we did technically meet today, but we've been, I think, talking on like Instagram for the last like year. So or long. So yeah. What brings you to LA? M-
2: writing music.
0: Oh, I'll do it. I'll yeah. definitely do it. Writing,
2: writing songs.
0: <laughs> we, we were talking, like, you know, when you first came here, we have, like, a million mutual friends on, like, both coasts. It's
2: crazy. It's just such
0: a tight-knit, it's like, like...
2: The music industry is Kevin Bacon, but as an industry... You
0: <laughs> well, know? And Three degrees of separation from yeah, anyone. it's crazy. This week alone, you've written with, like, a couple people who have been on the podcast. So like, funny. W- with Lizzie and with, like, Nico Pop, right?
2: Oh, has Nico Pop been on the podcast, Yeah, Nico too? Pop and
0: Cam Palmer were, were on here. Oh,
2: good people.
0: Oh, they're, they're all the best. So yeah. we're, doing, we're just pretty much. We spent this morning just talking about how much we love our friends. Yes. Just,
2: just a good people's a good people's podcast is what you have going.
0: You know, that's uh when we started. It's just like, what's the pitch for this show? It's just like, do you want good people just, <laughs> just all the just time? Just good human. Don't just hear good people. Be Literally. yeah. Well, you seem like a good, you know in the last hour that we've talked, you've been, you. been a very good person. So
2: I seem that's my whole shtick. I seem like a good person.
0: But you know, I think everybody. That's the thing that counts though. <laughs> you are who you pretend to be.
2: A hundred percent. It all really the only thing that matters is how it looks.
0: No, exactly. You know, if (laughs) if you are presentable as a nice person, that's horrible. That's (laughs) that's pretty much true. Oh my
2: God, for anyone listening, not the
1: (laughs) truth.
0: (laughs) You know, though, there is something to be said. Like, you know, there are people who say, like, oh, I'm a bad person, whatever. But if you just put positivity out, like, you actively are working towards being good, even if you're like, you have a proclivity towards being a kind of shit person, (laughs) that's kind of a good, nice thing. I, I don't
2: know. Do people who are people that are like shitty people, do they know that?
0: I
1: usually you know, no, like, I, I think, think I think never. when you suck,
2: that usually goes hand in hand with, with zero uh, like self-awareness. self-awareness, yeah. Cause I feel like nobody thinks of themselves as a shitty person in a way that's real. Like even when someone's like, I'm a shitty person, in their hearts, I'm gonna choose to believe that they don't really feel that way. I
0: don't think anybody like wants to be like. I don't think anybody. That's what I'm saying. No one wants to
2: be a shitty person. Yeah, I guess. But people
1: who do shitty things, like they usually have like most decisions that people make, they are there's a reason behind it, and they usually believe in the reason. Justification. There's always a justification of nothing else. I
0: would make the argument that like the the biggest sort of cause of just shitty people is like (sighs) shitty friends, because I think good friends like hold you accountable. Like, I think if you like (sighs) make it to your 30s and like still have like, you know, selfish tendencies or, you know, like talk us, you know, like in a kind of shitty way, it's because nobody's like being honest with you and saying, you're kind of being shitty or you're hurting my feelings or like whatever. I do
2: know a few people like that and they have people around them that are like, you're not being great and, (laughs) and they just can't help themselves.
0: I don't know, but, that's, well, my, my theory just out the... Uh, well,
2: no, I think, no, I think, I mean, I do think, yes, accountability is a huge thing. Somehow those people have been able to get through life without, like, really being held accountable. But I'm just going to, I'm just going to hope, I'm going to believe in the goodness in people, that that there's more of the good people's people than the shitty ones.
0: This episode's theme is morality. <laughs> <laughs> right. Can you be a, Just digging you be a, right can, in. Yeah. gonna be- Well, uh, it's funny because we're both from New York. Yes. And I, what I was noticing in this this morning when we just grabbed coffee before the, mm-hmm. shoot the podcast, we were walking very fast. Oh, were we? We were, we were talking <laughs> very fast. No, there was like a moment where like while we were like walking to the cafe, I'm like, this is the fastest I've ever walked to the cafe. Really? And mm-hmm. I miss it. It's I am so happy. Oh that, my
2: like natural pace. Oh I'm so yeah. sorry. No, it's no, you
0: no we were fine. we were great because like we just missed that. Like that's, that's, that's an East Coast so thing. funny. That's
2: it, yeah. Oh wow, that's so funny. And as we were walking, I was like, God, this is so taking a very long time. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, I well, we were
0: talking fast too. We were just like going like I
2: do talk yeah, very no, fast. I mean,
0: same. Like
2: uh I, as I slow down while oh, I talk. Oh, yeah, we just, we um,
0: take, this episode's theme is take your time.
2: <laughs> it's good people and speaking slower. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I still live in New York. I live in Brooklyn. So my pace is, hasn't been like affected by LA. Actually, LA sort of makes me feel uncomfortable when I'm here for an extended period of time because it is a slower city. So like it pulls on me as like my, as like a person, it pulls on my energy to slow down because that's what it is. But I like it. Like, I really like writing music here because, well, A, because everyone moved here, but also, (laughs) uh, I think it's conducive to, to making records because people start sessions later. People are more easygoing. People are also flaky, but, there's something to be said about like making music and living your life. Like, and that's it. Yeah. You know, where like you, you get to sort of like, whenever I come out here, I'm here for work. So I get to like sessions don't start till one. So in the morning I like live my life. I mean, I still have other things I have to take care of, but this trip specifically, I really like worked hard to like kind of clear my queue of things to do so that I could really just like live and make music and not have to like think about other other outside factors that I might have to and um that's been real feels like a real luxury yeah.
0: well and when, when I first moved out of here I was very like gung-ho I was like I'm gonna go out to every single show I'm gonna like you know do like two sessions a day like do the whole thing and I had a friend who like more or less sort of grew up here um, who's just like, yeah, that you're not going to do that the whole time you're here. I'm like, I'm a New Yorker. I will. And then like two years into this, I'm just like, uh, uh, okay, well, we're not going to, you know, it's fine. Like we're just going to well, take it easy today. You people know?
2: ask me why, why don't you, you know, are you going to move? You're here so much and everyone's here. And I am fortunate that I can go back and forth. And that's something about New York that I don't want to lose this thing where there's a spontaneity in New York and there is a pace there. And I'm, f- from there. So like, I've never lost that pace. Mm. And I lived, I've lived in different cities. I haven't always lived in New York, but I feel like the, the New Yorkness in me is like, I'd be weird. I feel like I'd be a completely different person if that like left me, but I think I'm, I, I speak fast. I'm fast paced. That's like my personhood. Like it's a defining quality about me. People are like, Oh girl, you like, Mm -hmm. you go fast. Like you gotta. Are are your parents like that
0: too? Yeah. Yeah, my, my, my mom's
2: from Queens, my dad's from Brooklyn. Oh like yeah, so it was all New over. New York yeah. family, yeah.
0: No, my, my parents too. Like it's pretty much my, my like my mom and dad are just like, like complete motor mouths, and yes. instantly my brother talks
1: very slowly. Like he's a very calm.
2: Sometimes, so when you're yeah. in a family, the reaction, you know, it's like yeah. if everyone's one way, you go the other way. As yeah, like become your parents So you
1: become the antithesis of your parents. Like,
2: always, always. But yeah, my I mean, my roommate in college who is my best friend and still my best friend, she said that when we first moved in together, she's like, I would hear you talking on the phone with like your mom or your dad. And I think you were yelling at each other. And then I just realized that you guys are just talking.
0: Just talking. Yeah. I mean, that's
2: just how you well, talk to that each that's other. Too,
0: um, like my grandfather, my dad and me all have like a mumble that we bring out of each other. So when, when we like, are together for Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. or even talk on the phone, my mom would observe that we just didn't enunciate anything. That's so funny. Like it's only, and it's really only been editing the podcast. I've noticed how bad some of that is. But you can understand each other. Isn't
2: that interesting? Yeah. You can have like a whole mumble conversation with each other. Exactly. Because you speak the same language, which I think is so cool about families and people. And, you know, I think, we. I was talking to a friend about this the other day. She, we were talking about, like, relationships and boyfriends and girlfriends, and she was like, you know, you just got to find someone who speaks you, right? I'd have to yeah. find someone who speaks Ariana, you know, who speaks Nate. Like, I think that that's a cool... Thing. That's why that feels so good when you meet someone in the world who like speaks your language. Yeah, yeah even
1: even I feel like even in friendships, like totally. in any long term friendship, you develop like a specific vernacular of how you relate to that person. It's like a little internal, like all these like it's not just language; it's like like nonverbal it, it, stuff it, it, it too. Is, it
0: is, yeah, it's nonverbal. It's like it's just how you interact with somebody. But then, like the other layers, you then have layers of inside jokes. Oh, I, I, started, I started just like from my own just curiosity, keeping track of inside jokes I have with people, whether it's like friendships or relationships or whatever. And and when you start realizing that that's like a long list and then you're just sort of really like riding the grooves between like one inside joke following into like another inside joke or layering inside. That's, that's a really special thing. Cause for example, like this there are probably emojis that we all use that means something very specific.
2: Oh, totally. And are your friends like, know that those are your emojis. Like those are, that's how you do it. My, my, two of my very best friends have been my, like, we have been truly best friends for, Oh man, one of them is fourteen years, maybe. Uh, 13 years and the other one's about 12 and they're also friends with each other but the two of them like my best friend Scarlett, who also is a creative director and a music video director and creative directs my project for me now and d- has directed music videos for me did she do night owls again? she did the night owl uh, video cool. she did every video for the constellations ep that came out she's super talented we talk about stuff and she'll reference things to me that were like seven years ago she did this two days ago and she she referenced something that had happened but like in relation to something i was doing now she's like oh my god this is like then and i was like holy shit and she was like she was like that was a deep cut that was like Mm a that was like a that was me under that was like me knowing history that because you just have these you've been friends for so long and you have these memories and jokes and this connection that it's cool
0: to be well, friends with someone my best friend in New York I've known him since I was in second grade so since I was like you know it's
2: crazy like
0: you know six or seven or something like that yeah like, like he's we've seen some stuff well like, you've we've been se-
2: through all the fa- all these phases of your life yeah. together
0: yeah. you know I, and that's the thing is that like I almost always hesitate to call him, especially when I like I am going through like a thing because he's like my brother at this point. Like he's right. he's like I if I call him, he's like yeah you've been through this version of that thing right a million times like you know he, and he's not just referencing like the last like screw up or the last breakup or whatever he's referencing like when I was like eleven and did that yeah. like oh totally know, I dumb I, thing in the playground or whatever I you know? recently
2: went through a breakup as we talked about and um, as it was going on I was like in New York. And I had, I am touring from like March through August, beginning of August. And I was home like for the first time for over a month. Yeah. And I was doing all these things. I was going out and whatever. And she was like, oh yeah, you did. She was like referencing all these things. I was doing, she was like, you did this the last time. You were like really sad like this. <laughs> and I was like, when was that? And she referenced a breakup that I had in like like the fir- like the first one I ever went through in college. Like some dude that like, I obviously remember him, but like hadn't thought about that in forever. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. I'm
0: doing the same thing.
2: <laughs> well, and it's like ten years ago or something. The, those people
0: scare the shit out of me because, like, you even can't hide even like, from yeah, them. yeah, yeah. no, because that's the thing. Like, even even like Meg, who I, you know, I've been really close friends with her for two years. You know, like she said something yesterday. Yesterday to I me mean, something about like you know how I like to chase drama because I like to feel something as mm-hmm. opposed to just sort of like letting everything be good mm-hmm. and like letting that water sort of lay still. I'm just like fuck, like, you got me pegged. I don't want you to have me you pegged. You need those, like, but going yeah. back to
2: what we said before, you need those friends yeah. for, accountability for accountability so you don't turn into a shitty person. Exactly. Brought that right Brought back. Brought it on. right back. Today's right theme right is
1: how to not be shitty That good was like a long-form friends. comedy friendship. joke. Friendship.
2: Yeah. Friendship. The friendship. Theme of this podcast, morality and friendship. The
0: friends you make along the way. <laughs> not about music at no. all, <laughs> but still what you write songs about. Well, I mean, you know, and, and, and the people who listen, you know?
2: The people who, oh my God, they just deal with all my bullshit. Poor people. (laughs) I said this, I said this literally last night. I was with my friend who was Scarlett. And I said to her, I was like, I think if we had like opened a book and someone gave you like a preview of all my shit that you were going to have to deal with if you like entered into our friendship, you wouldn't have done it.
0: (laughs) <laughs> like she would have
2: been like, I pass. No, well, no.
0: no. T- poor Noah. Whenever anything happens in my life at all, big or small, he has to hear about it twelve times. Well, you guys, because we're, we're hanging out all the time, but we, somebody else comes into the room. It's not like Noah's going to leave the room. Same thing. So you I'm hear-
1: telling them, you know.
0: The same story over
2: and when over. When you guys again. make music together and yeah. you do the podcast together, then you and gotta work relive every,
1: every life event through the writing session. So, ride
2: or die. So, definition. Yeah. yeah. So
0: he, I think he's got a good uh, like a good immunity to it at this point. Yeah. It, it's love. That's yeah. what that is. It's <laughs> well, caring he, about someone. He gets to see different angles, you know, how, because it's not just about the story, it's about how you tell the story. You,
2: I think they, you know? say, right? The saying is like if you get one person, you get one person in life that cares about you. If you think about that, like you think about high school, right? You just need like one friend. get through it yeah it's one person who gives a shit about your
0: dumb stuff
2: and i think that's true of life i think that it's if you just need one person who gets you you're lucky
0: yeah hey if you get a little older you know maybe you're lucky and you even get like some family up in there you get a bunch of people yeah Yeah. i mean
2: god i feel very lucky that's something i definitely felt this year where i was like oh wow you know what i did something i did something who whatever happens in your work and your you know romantic life and whatever like turned around at the end of this year and was like, at least you, like... You rallied a group of people around that I I really like, so yeah. at least there's that because I I don't know if that's true for everybody, so I feel pretty pretty fortunate to have to have friends. Well, no, then that's the thing. Like, no, my eyes were I open do. this year
0: to like the fact that there are there are people who like don't do not
2: have that put yeah. that like and, totally and,
0: and realize the I guess the value of that. Oh my god! Like, for, I guess for me because I, I had my first like best friend who every other day would say he wasn't my best friend, you know, and that's. <laughs> Uh, maybe that's, that's the, how you
2: know they're your best friend. Yeah, <laughs> although,
0: although maybe that's also the root of every insecurity that I... <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, formed really early. Really
0: early is just like trying to prove to this kid that I can be a good so friend, funny. you know? But yeah, but basically like the, the whole thing is that you build your family, you build your community because you can't necessarily like you need certain things from people. You need to have like that support system, but but I think I knew really young that I needed that as like a person. I think that there are people who are like in their twenties, like you know, even in their thirties, whatever, who are just now realizing that maybe they would have been better off if they didn't handle everything by themselves.
2: You know, I I know someone who is, uh, I think she's probably in her early thirties, and she's been through like a ton of stuff. And I have I have two friends that uh you know they had worked together. And they just, they had like a working relationship and, and over the years, they've just like become really, really good friends. And that subsequently has like opened up her friend group. And she talks about it all the time. She's like, my friendship with, with them and then being able to like meet all these new people has changed my own perception of myself. Yeah. Because She was only meeting people through work. And so when you feel like every, all of your friendships with people are transactional, that feels hard because you like can't, you can't figure out like if people really like you for you. And so as soon as that changes and you feel like people are just invested in hearing about how your day was, she's like a brighter person. She's like a truly happier, brighter person. And it's been so cool to watch. And it is a real testament to like what, Kindness and like taking the time to get to know somebody can mean for someone. I really believe in that stuff.
0: You're saying at coffee that like you uh, had recently started making more music friends. But mm-hmm. for us, because we went to a music school, our friends in our early 20s and like from like minute one of being twenty we're all music people, there's still that sort of like transactional, yeah. there was that transactional
1: piece. I, I, I still struggle with that. Like, like totally the, the the upside of like being in this industry and working with all these amazing people. And like part of the reason we have this podcast, because we have all these people in our circle who are like really dope people who we write with. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, I have people who I'm like, I'm working on stuff with them, but I'm also friends with them. And then I have to navigate, like, I want to hang out with you. Totally. But also we have to finish this thing. And then it's like, when I can only find time for one thing, then I only can only find time to like work on stuff with people Mm -hmm. and then when all my friends are the people that i'm working with it's like that that can't be like you can't just have your friends be your work friends and that's like super true in music as hard as it is to like like, finding and
2: finding like the balance of that i mean i i I mean we were talking yeah you're right we were talking about it earlier and especially for me i really struggled with not having female friendships in music for Mm -hmm. like a really long Mm -hmm. time i was friends really mainly because like a lot of producers are dudes like period, end of story. Uh, I was on a solo artist project by myself and I have like really, really strong female friendships outside of work. Like I am, I would consider myself like a girl's girl. Um, And so not having artists, like other people in pursuit of being an artist or a songwriter to like bounce ideas off of was always something I really, I didn't even realize how much I needed it until I started to make girlfriends. And it's been really cool doing. I do the show Light in Space, which is this like hybrid party and concert, and reaching out to DJs and other musicians and artists. And like, not everyone has even ended up playing the show, but it was that was really some of the first conversations I was having with people and reaching out to them just because I loved what they did. And I think it really in the last, I would say, last year or two, like my whole network of of just women that I admire that are doing such cool stuff is like totally expanded. And I feel really grateful for that. And I don't know if it's because there's been like a real light shown on women in music and the, and like getting rid of the stigma that women need to be competitive with each other. I never felt that way. I just straight up didn't meet people. And so <laughs> to to like be able to compare notes even and be like, oh, my God, are you dealing with this? I'm worried about this. How do you, you know, things that like you just wouldn't get
0: to talk to you know, I think the important thing about having a community is that it is your people. And sometimes that's just musicians, but sometimes it's also like, you know, I feel comfortable around like other Jews or yeah. other New Yorkers or yeah. like people who have similar experiences. Well, have had like
2: experiences yeah. for sure. And yeah. I, and that's been, yeah, it's really been uh, something that I've been really grateful for because every girl that I've met that I do sessions with now or I'm just friends with and we get coffee and we're just talking about like whatever, like someone's going on tour and they're like, oh, my merch didn't come in and I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm the only girl on the tour. Everyone else is a dude. And we're like talking about that stuff. And like, it's been cool to be able to have that for the first time. I wish I had done it sooner, but the truth is, is I, I don't think I knew how, and I don't, I wasn't, maybe I, who knows? I wasn't writing in the state, in, in LA or wherever I was, but I'm really grateful that that's changed for me. Well, it has meant a lot to me.
0: Now I'm putting a lot of value on having friends who I can just grab a drink with or, or do play trivia with or, you know, go to improv shows For with. sure. Like I've got music friends, great writers who I've never written with because we play Super Smash Bros. instead. You know? Well, I mean, that's, I, that's true for any profession, yeah. right?
2: Anything you're doing. I think it's important to have people who are in your industry who are your allies and friends and people who you can just call and, and need a drink with.
0: We were joking but the, the theme of the show has turned to friendship. I'm very much here for <laughs> That's a for beautiful
2: it. theme of a show.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um so you grew up you grew up in New York.
2: Grew up in New York. Were
0: you doing like the open mics in the city?
2: I have never done an open mic. Wow. How crazy is that?
0: Wait, so you never did like the Sidewalk Cafe or any of that I stuff? I did. No,
2: the first show I ever played was a venue called The Living Room, which is no longer exists. Um it was with uh three guys, one of which I went to NYU. One of which went to NYU. His name's Dan Crowley. He's insanely talented. And they were just like the only. I didn't go. I went to college for. I was an actor, like my whole life. I musicals. Uh, like I did like TV and film, and I was in. I worked. First job I ever got was like 13. So I was in an off Broadway show. So I went to. uh, I went to like a performing arts high school that. Which high school? Professional performing arts school. Okay.
0: I wasn't sure it was, like, LaGuardia or something. It's
2: the opposite. We were the... So, LaGuardia is, like, the specialty school in New York City, and PPAS is, like, the red-headed stepchild that, like, doesn't get the funding. <laughs> but, but we have, like, very cool alumni, and we you could work at PPAS. That was, like, the big thing. LaGuardia doesn't let you leave to work. So, PPAS was all the kids that were, like, on Broadway, all the kids... Because you had to leave for the matinee. Like, Sarah Hyland, who's on Modern Family, went to our school. We had a... a I mean, it was... I th- they love to like talk about how like Alicia Keys went there and like Britney Spears <laughs> right. went there, but I went there too. And um, basically, I was I was acting my whole life, and I thought I was going to be an actor. And I went to NYU for acting. I went to Tish, and like wrote songs in my bedroom because it was like a secret, and I wanted to be Ingrid Michaelson. Um, who I don't know if you know who she is, but she's. Uh, I think we
0: both also wanted to be Ingrid. Michelson, who doesn't want to so, be Ingrid Michaelson?
2: Oh my god! <laughs> All I wanted to do was write like quirky songs on my piano and. Uh, <laughs> And then like quickly I did musical theater, but like I, my voice was like not right for musical theater, but like, I didn't realize that I could like write my own songs. Um, and so, yeah, I, I sort of figured out later that I didn't want to act. I didn't want to do any music stuff. I mean, I didn't want to do any musical theater stuff and then like started ending up in like random writing sessions somehow. I mean, I, I, I think I must've gone and talked to people about it. Otherwise it's almost like, I don't even remember how I got there, but yeah. the first sessions I did were like in Brooklyn for this uh, rap producer named Illmind, who's an unbelievable producer and was working with um, Talib Kweli at the time and some like crazy people. And those were the first writing sessions I ever did. And I just like never did the like open mic, these are songs I wrote because I was terrified to sing my own songs for people. So I was like, I felt way more comfortable writing for someone else like immediately and Mm. then only wrote for myself, like in the back Uh, and then figured out kind of soon after that though, that I wanted an artist project.
0: Um, Did did you ever show him your, your songs?
2: No, not him. First songs, (laughs) first songs I ever wrote for myself. I, I I think I had a, like a, maybe a good year or two of writing some like shitty songs with random people before I got it together and moved to London and that was where I like figured out how to write that was like where I really started to like what Ariane and the Roses and the sound that it is now really I didn't start until I moved to London.
0: What prompted the move to
2: London? Someone I worked with. I think in the back of my head I always th- thought I should move there. Hmm. I always thought I needed to go there because I felt like they made the kind of music that I wanted to make. And I spent like a very long time wishing I was like cooler than I was. Mm. It was like a big part of my artist journey was getting to feel like comfortable with like whatever level of coolness I was, (laughs) which is so Hmm. stupid. But I think everyone feels like that to some degree. And I felt like I kept feeling like every song I made was not as cool as I was, which which is Hmm. strange. And I, like I just felt like it was never quite right. Like I was like, oh, I have like more attitude than this or I have more to say than that. Or I want more meat. Like I never quite got it right. And um, then someone someone I was working with or that I had met was like, I think you should go to London. And I was like, okay. And I'll never forget, I did, I did a trip there. My mom came with me because she was like, I don't know who this person is and like, what's going on? And I had like a ton of meetings and did a couple writing sessions. And I started to go back and forth and- fell into a really amazing group of songwriters. I just got lucky and met some really amazing people. And that was the first time that I really started to be an artist.
0: Would you say that it's got that same kind of community now, or has it shifted like New York has and whatever towards?
2: No, L- London has an enormous songwriting community. It's it's crazy. It's its own world unto itself, similar to LA. Uh, I think the London songwriting scene is actually a extended because you have people from Sweden and Norway Mm. and Denmark. So that's like a whole thing. And like a lot of the K-pop songs are written in the UK. Like there's a whole like extended thing. So I have, I have friends that are songwriters that like pay their rent because they're getting cuts for artists that are based in Europe or somewhere else. And then they're like doing sessions for other UK artists and stuff, but it's a different it's different and the same, but I feel really lucky that I've been able to find a community there for myself and get to go back and forth. I was just there like right before I was here. So <laughs> that was and that was always the dream I had, which is why I think I kind of got to LA late <laughs> because I was there.
1: In London. Um
2: and I was and I was offered I, I got really lucky. I was offered a tour like before I even had a band there. And I went out with um an artist called Fox at the time and like one of the first, it was like the second or third show I ever did in London. I was opening for her, Shepherd's Bush Empire, which was like amazing. It's like a beautiful venue. And <laughs> and then, yeah, I, I've toured a lot there. I love it there. I, I believe in the way that they make pop music. Hmm. I think it's, you know, there's a lot of integrity in it.
0: Well, that, that clearly inspired the beginnings of, of your project. Too. For sure. So Walk me through the first, because the first song you put out was, uh, was, was Give Up the Ghost. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So how did that first song sort of come to be? And then, uh, how did you wind up coming up with your persona? Well, like get, your t-
2: actually so, t- sneakily, Give Up the Ghost was not the first song I ever put out. I had put out other songs, but they were terrible. So we took them down, <laughs> which I think a lot of artists can relate to. Yes. I know so many artists that are like, oh dude, like I have a whole catalog that's been like d- uploaded and Wiped. taken down. So many people. Wiped. And I think it's important to say for anyone who's listening, because I think that that's like a misconception that like you come out like crystallized, yeah, which no one, crazy. No, one does. no, you make terrible things yeah. before you make good things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But give up the ghost was the first song I put out as Ariana and the Rose, the project as it is now. Um, so that was, that was 2015. So it was what, four years, five years ago, four years ago. And I, I, Still love that song. Like to this day, I think Give Up the Ghost is still a like very good representation of who I am as an artist. It was produced by a British uh, producer named Tom Fuller, who's very talented and co-written with a group that was called The Nexus at the time. They I don't think they work together anymore. But the writer is a guy named David Sneddon, who's unbelievably talented they wrote, they co-wrote a little song that people liked called National Anthem by Lana Del Rey.
0: Oh, well, that'll definitely do it. That'll do it for you.
2: Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I like. I remember meeting David, and he was like one of the most talented people I've ever met. To this day, is just one of those people that can sit down at a piano and play chords and sing melodies, and you're like, oh my god, like the song. <laughs> it's 14 seconds in, and the song's written. Like yeah. this is insane. And I, I met those people, and I like immediately had a family. Like I, I they're just good humans.
0: How did you, how did you wind up meeting them? Was there, would you go to like sort of events or to concerts or to... Were there networking things? Yeah,
2: I mean, I think being around is part of it. I um, There's a really cool studio complex in London called Yard, which now um, has been around for a while and is very built up, but this was the beginning of it. it. It's all these different studios. It's really cool, and there's tons of different people in there. I mean, like, Mark Ronson's in there now and stuff, but in the beginning, that wasn't the case. It was just different writers and producers, and now they've expanded, and they have a publishing company and a management arm, and... They manage some amazingly successful artists, a DJ named Sigala, who is not big here, but is very big in the UK. And basically I, that was like one of the first meetings I ever took was with this guy who was one of the ARs there. And he was like, yeah, I'll put you in some sessions. I think it was the beginning for them. You know, they mm-hmm. were looking just for artists to work with. And I- got lucky and met the right person and they put me in sessions and you meet one person and then and Tom produced like a bunch of things for me so he was a, he was a songwriter also so he brought his friends in and I met those people and I was at a barbecue in Sherman Oaks two weeks ago and I met a guy who is like really good friends with one of my friends who lives in England and he's British <laughs> and I was like vaguely had heard his name before and I was like you don't happen to be friends with with this person that I mentioned he was like that's one of my best friends
0: <laughs> it's, so, I mean, it's such a small World, no it's matter a small world. like, and no matter where in the world you are, like For sure. w- again, the first five minutes you're here, we were just like finding like the you know this, this person, like yeah, this person, yeah, no, we got to talk mean, to this person. Yeah, I like, think
2: that I think that there's, and what's wild is that there's so many pockets of that too. Like there's yeah. writers that we don't know about that we don't know personally that are all friends with each other, and yeah. that's an extension. Well, I
0: sometimes you meet one person and it opens up like a whole a pocket, whole like be, I know when we met Evangelia like just her alone, introduced sort of you, yeah, and introduced sure. us to people in, in New York, people in, in Los Angeles, just little pockets that like one person winds up being this kind of like- so many writers. And, and you're probably that for other people. I know we're that for people, like I know- For sure. You're, like
2: every, you're your community. And when you meet someone that expands your, that expands again, and it's, you It's know, the you, come
0: together right yeah, now over me yeah. of the whole thing. It's crazy. You know? Now, we were first sonically introduced to you through Love You Lately, which you did with RKCB. We were in Boston when it came out. We were pretty much hype on any duo that was making music like close to ours, like, uh, and so between Opia and RKCB and everything, we're like, oh, maybe there's a world for this kind of stuff that we're, we're messing around
2: Electronic with. Electronic sexy um, bedroom bops. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's
0: the thing, like the song is so great. Thank like, you. it you. You know, I like, even, when, even out here now, I just immediately put back to the first time I heard it in Boston. How did that song like come to be and, and, and what was that writing process? And is there a part of the, the song that first sort of made it come alive for you? So
2: we got put into a session. It was just a writing session, like any day, typical Tuesday in LA. And, uh... Was it actually a Tuesday? No.
0: Okay, I was like... That, but that'd be cool. Do feel like that's like a crazy memory for sessions? No, just- I just
2: typical Tuesdays, I use it as like a... <laughs> just like the alliteration, really. But, you know, it was like any regular day. And, uh... I had heard some of their stuff. They had obviously heard mine. And uh, it was like a manager, like their manager knew my manager at the time and said, you guys should do this. And we just wrote the song. We didn't, we weren't like, we should write for you or we should write, you know, we just wrote. And uh, Casey, uh, I remember Riley had, um, was like starting the beat, he was doing that. There's like a synth in it that does like a do-do-do-do-do. And he was doing that, and Casey and, and Casey started singing the hook, the guess I don't know you, you lately. And then, I don't know, we just wrote the song. And we, did we record the demo as a duet? I think we might've, because once we wrote it and we both realized we liked it, It was one of those things where I was like, no, you guys take it. And they were like, no, you take it. I was like, no, you take it. And it uh, it felt like the story of the song required two voices. Hmm. It just felt like that. Like well, yeah, it was it a more impactful. So well too on it.
0: Like
2: yeah, the our like our styles and our and I think Casey and I's voices definitely um go go well together and they're both so talented. But that that just it felt like this in service of the story of the song, like for an audience, for a listener like the female and male perspective was more interesting than just one or the other. Mm. And I was coming out of a serious breakup at the time. And it was one of those songs where it's like you write the song and you don't even realize I wasn't sitting there like writing about my life, but in hindsight I absolutely was. But in the moment, I didn't feel that way in the moment we were just writing
0: I'm messing around with a concept and then right, later, totally. later on you hear it and you're like oh for shit. sure yeah. I mean and
2: Casey's obviously very very happily booed up so like it was it was just <laughs> us writing about something that I think everyone's experienced whether you're like going through it in that exact moment or not
1: I can feel you watch me in the morning
2: I love that song, and people have been. I did a show in Phoenix actually in March, opening for a band called Weathers, who are awesome. And a girl DM'd me before the show, and she was like, Hey, I noticed that you're not doing Love You Lately in the set because we had like been posting videos and stuff. Mm -hmm. She was like, could you sing it tonight? It's my favorite song of yours. And so we did an acoustic version of it and it was like so special. It was like really, I had taken it out of the set just because I had new music coming out and, you know, it just, we only had so much time. And now I like only want to do it with a piano because Mm. the song itself, I feel like is just, it's cool to write an electronic bass song that, Feels like the melody and the lyrics hold up without it all, you know?
0: And what's special about the song too, uh, what I love like like lyrically, uh, I, around the time when it came out, I was listening to a lot of stuff that was like very subtle resignation, almost like a casual, like, like I guess I don't, you know, like yeah, the fact yeah, that it's like, yeah, I yeah, guess yeah, I don't yeah, love you yeah. you know, like, like I, I, now, I mean, y- you're hearing it a lot more now too. You got like, I was getting kind of used to being someone you love, like, <sighs> you know, it's like Yeah, it's
2: very colloquial. That was the beginning of people writing like that. Yeah. yeah, Writing how you speak.
0: How you speak, but also just like, you know, just having these really heavy hitting things being delivered with an almost like casual and subtle resignation. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think really hit me about the song Mm -hmm. when it it first came out. So I can imagine just playing it in this sort of stripped down place. Would you ever think about recording recording it? Sure,
2: for sure. Yeah, I would love that. I'll call call Casey. Maybe we'll do it together. It is a really beautiful song. I'm really proud of that song. And it's definitely been a huge discovery point for my own project. So I'm very proud of it. And I think when artists collaborate in general, it's always interesting for people, you know, just two styles coming together.
0: Well, and I think as far as like discovery points go too, it's just whatever winds up bringing, you know, because now you got that. You know the fan who reached out to you. And it's like mm-hmm. that's a, that's an important song to them. It's an important song to us when it came out. Like you never know, and that's why we say we we talk about scrapping catalogs. But also you never know which songs, even even the ones that we think are like our old stuff, but stuff that we think is shit wind up having connections with people or being a discovery point. Now more than ever, you know, right?
2: With the way that, that Spotify is. and
0: Yeah, it's all I, algorithms. I think for an
2: artist, you know when something's connecting if you see that someone discovers you through one thing, but then is going back and listening to other stuff. Because ultimately, I don't care what song is the song that makes someone care about my project first as long as there's, you know, as long as there's a door for them. Well,
0: and that's uh, something that we've kind of grappled with and and found a kind of nice little piece in this year is that, like, we used to be really down on ourselves that we never had a song that passed a million streams. But if you look on our page you have almost the same amount of streams on everything, which means that people are coming... Caring about all of it. And, like, listening and and forming their own connections with different things, not know? know? I don't
2: know if any of that... You know, what's better? To have one song that has 15 million streams and then the rest of your songs have, you know, 60,000, 100,000 streams, or to have... 10 songs that each have a hundred thousand streams and everyone, you know what I mean? And your fan base is a real fan base. That was a huge thing. Putting out constant, the Constellation ZP I just put out, uh, I work with a really small team that is dedicated and really passionate, which I feel really grateful and fortunate to have. And I said to everyone, as we went into this campaign, I was like, I it's going (laughs) to hurt my ego, but I care less about the vanity numbers and I care more about getting it to real people. And I care more about when I put a show on sale, you know, when I put tickets on sale that we sell them, that we're that we're getting to people who believe in, you know, the music and want to come see that live. That matters to me than having 7 million streams on a song that, have, that are passive listeners who don't care about, you yeah. know, being on your mailing list or coming to see a show. Because ultimately that doesn't help you build your career. And I think that that's something that, has become a thing for artists, you know, you want those numbers, but you also want those numbers to be people who care. I care more about having less people who, who give a shit than more people who are passive.
0: Well, and that's like, I grew up, uh, in Westchester, New York, like, and there was the Younger's punk scene where you had these artists who, you know, I guess weren't doing great on iTunes, you know, or whatever Mm -hmm. was happening around that time. Or even when Spotify started coming along, like they didn't have great, numbers, whatever, but there was not a single show they played in New York that wasn't just completely packed. Just like a sweaty And people who love them. Warehouse and people yeah. love them. And they bought merch. I have, like, the band t-shirts I have are from those bands. And then we saw, it, like, one of the biggest shows we played was opening for Vespertine. Oh, who, yeah,
2: and he opened for a Great Good Find OK on the yeah. last tour they did. Oh, yeah.
0: And th- and that's the thing is that, like, you know, on, on a streaming place, like, you know, Vespertine's got, I mean, he's got good numbers, but like I, it's not like you could you could compare it to like other people who who don't sell out shows. There is not a single show he plays that he doesn't sell out like with lines out the door. You know, like we thought it, there was some sort of mistake when we showed up at the venue and there was a line in the rain. And we're just it's like, amazing. What is, what's happening? But you notice
2: that someone who's building something. Yeah. And I think that's harder now than ever, actually. I know, mm-hmm. that, I know that streaming has... They say streaming has leveled the playing field in a lot of ways, which I do think is true, but I also think it's become harder to make something that feels tangible.
1: Well, streaming has lowered the barrier to entry. Yes. But that's not the same thing as leveling the playing field because yeah. all lowering the barrier to entry does is just increase the noise floor. And For then it's, sure. then you have to do and more so, to And noise. Like, so, doesn't get that get just, yeah. and doesn't
2: that just, put even more weight on the gatekeepers to sort of sift through things. Cause ultimately, even from like a scientific standpoint, they've shown that like people like things curated for them. They don't yeah. want to go in and do the heavy lifting of trying to find yeah. the fan who like is the real hard, hardcore music fan. That's like sifting to find the thing is just less than the person who wants you to say, who wants to say, Hey, I think you should listen to this. Yeah, I'm a musician and I don't want to do that. Well, no, so. that's the thing.
0: I, like, and I, I write for a blog. We have this thing. I like, I will trade all of my privacy for a well curated life. Like I don't want to be scrolling through Netflix over to figure out what I want. I don't, totally. I, I get overwhelmed in the grocery store. Like yeah, I, I
2: think that's a very, I think that's humans. I think that's just how our brains work. There's
0: yeah. there, there that David Foster Wallace essay, I forget which one it was, is that at a certain point we're going to just be begging for curation. And that's the truth. I mean like, yeah. but, but what's nice is that there is opportunity in that is that if, you know, now we've got these robots that are more or less saying we've done, we have crunched math to figure out what we are like 90% sure you're going to like, like then we can make stuff in our taste and our whatever. Like we know what we like. We know what is being appealed to us by those algorithms. And we know how to put that out through who we're working with and also what we're making. So there is opportunity in it. And every time a new kind of algorithmic playlist comes out, like the rewind that just came out or like, you know the radios or the Discover Weeklies. I mean, I know every artist now does get a bump on Monday, because of Discover Weekly stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I'm kind of here for the computers figuring out our <laughs> shit. You know, just a little I, bit, just a little bit. Yeah. I
2: don't. I I just feel like I don't know is the answer really. I'm just. I know. <laughs> I feel like I know, and then something else happens, and I'm like, oh god, I didn't know that. Uh, I I just try and make music that I love and believe in, so that in you know the following year, I look back and still love it. And I'm still a believer in like the physical. I'm a, I'm a old school in that way that like Mm -hmm. if you, if someone sees you live and they love you, they love you. There's just nothing. There's nothing a stream can do to replace that period. If you, if you see an opener and you think they're sick, you will go listen to their
0: music. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways. I feel like I gave up on, because I, you know, I went to so many shows this year. I gave up on like, feeling like I could be enchanted by a live show. And then we saw like Donna Missile at Rough Trade. Game fucking over. But that because, yeah. like, because
2: but that's the thing, right? Like someone live grabs you. And so it's actually way easier. The curation part of it's way easier because when someone hits you live, first of all it's harder. It's fewer people that can do it. Yeah. And uh, you love them immediately. You're a fan, it's done. It's done. You are now her fan. That's yeah. over.
1: True. Yeah. Very true. One Even show, if I'm you like, saw
2: her do another show that didn't hit you as hard, you'd still give her a pass. You'd yeah. still be like,
0: no, no, no. I'm No, this. I think I've seen her like six times since then. Each time, it just like mind. But see what I'm saying? Yeah, You've seen like, her six times. Yeah, you
2: saw just, her once. You yeah. fucking loved her. Every time you, every time she's in town, you're like, I'm not gonna miss that.
1: Yeah, and yeah. like, and if, and but here's the thing: if you, if I was just like sitting around and someone was like, Hey, listen to this artist, Donna Missle. She's pretty cool. I would like listen to the record and be like. Yeah, that was pretty cool, and I wouldn't think much of it. Go on your day. Yeah, go. I go about my day. Like it's just so much that it's hard to sort of. Yeah, like our brains are just like. I mean, every
2: artist is different, and she's definitely an artist that thrives live. Like that's you know, not every artist does thrive live. Yeah. um, But and and, and
0: the reverse. I mean, there are plenty of artists who have just incredible records that don't translate live. For a hundred percent. Yeah.
2: But I, I do think that there's, I mean, there's a, there's an article right now on Billboard that pink, uh, that's about pink. And that's what she talks about. She's like, I tapped off the hamster wheel because she built an insane touring business and she has the biggest earning tour for a female artist ever, damn <laughs> that's crazy but pink has a reputation as a touring artist like yeah. i you might not even be the biggest pink fan but you know about her live show
1: true yeah
0: you know
2: that she does it's amazing well, what still
0: boggles my mind is i remember watching the music video for don't let me get me on the, on my friend's like playstation <laughs> yeah like i remember yeah. like that music video i remember like it, like in, from 2000 from 2000 or whatever, like the fact that she's still pumping out She's not a
2: heritage artist, which is unbelievable when so many other acts who are her contemporaries are effectively considered heritage artists. She's very relevant and she's doing Mm. things and she attributes that to her live show.
0: I feel like Katy Perry has been brushing up against that for like the last like, yeah, I mean, one, one, once year. once you
1: go like reality show host, like that sort of that puts you in a certain lane. Hundred yeah. well, percent. even Lady back even Lady Gaga with the Vegas show. No, yeah, but or, like, but I
2: but I think actually but, I, mean, I would she's, say she's doing it. Lady thing. Gaga. No, but I think Lady Gaga is another one who's sort of circumvented and found her own way because she sold out. She did the she did the Super Bowl, which yeah. like reminded everybody that Lady Gaga is insanely talented. Lady Gaga Live is she's incredible. (laughs) And whether you like her music or not, she's like an undeniable live performer. That was the
1: thing that did it for me. Like I was like right right around the time, like Bad Romance, like she was like the peak Lady Gaga. I was like one of those like bratty teenagers who was like, eh, pop music, but specifically like, she's too weird. And then I saw her play like Born This Way on a piano at a free concert. And I was like, holy crap. Like she's so good. And that's never not going to leave my brain.
2: Right. And so there's a respect that comes with that. And she, you know, Art Pop was tough people didn't love that and you know everyone had sort of written her off and she did the Super Bowl and then she immediately announced an arena tour and did a few stadiums she played she played a uh I saw her at City Field in New York. She plays Stadium in Boston. She sold them out and everybody loved it. And, you know, obviously she's, she now is like an Oscar winner and like girls like doing what, girls <laughs> in her best life. But that being said, like she's gonna, she's making her sixth album and like people want it. Like people yeah. are ready because ultimately she's, her live show like was so incredible. It's like kept her, she does not feel like a heritage act. Um, when doing a Vegas show or something like that could very much make you yeah, feel that way. that's true. So she's someone I think that's like, to- that's also sort of rewritten her own rules and been like, no, you're not going to write me off. Like, I'm going to do all these different things. And even A Star Is Born was, was you know, f- grounded in music. So like, yeah. you're, it's just this constant reminder how talented so, yeah. she is. And so I think that people are much more open to that and not writing female pop stars off uh, just because they're old or she's thirty three, which is also not old. But um, Saint Vincent, well, and, and Saint Vincent the, wasn't wasn't even Saint Vincent. She didn't win her first Grammy until she was thirty three.
0: BB Rex had randomly that song randomly too. Read about yeah, that no, recently, BB Rex had just had that song too. Right, like, no, I'm
2: going thank, thank God. Right, because so she said some A and R said that she was too old, which also is fucking crazy.
0: Talking about artists like staying relevant, uh, like in the massive pop sphere. like, suddenly made me think about, like, we all more or less started around the same time, like, in 2015. For sure. And, you know, obviously, we we aren't playing arenas. Like, obviously, we are still very much trying to, like, break the career. Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of artists, like, we've had to sort of reinvent and grow publicly, and very much in real time. And I think there is also those struggles of staying relevant and growing a fan base that you have, even when it's on that small space. Because you can't be moving backwards, you can't be sliding back, but also sometimes you need to take that time to sort of grow. So I feel like all of those thoughts are happening on like the arena side. Like what's the best way to sort of angle yourself? Like we are considering it on the sort of micro level of, okay, do we put out music this year? Do we spend the year like developing you know, a better sound or a new sound yeah, the, or the, growing the, the, the or starting a podcast or whatever, yeah. you know, like.
1: Yeah. But I think all, yeah the, the the stuff we were just talking about, like, I think all that shows that being an artist is like an ongoing challenge. Like, even if you're playing arenas, oh, then you're just thinking sure. about how, like, yeah, like once you get to the point, the point where you're playing arenas, then you're like, okay, shit, how do I stay relevant?
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: that's like, you're still like, up at night being like this artist project how do i continue it's brutal. like how, like to have longevity in this industry like for even for more than 10 years is like you have to be have to pull off so much stuff it on like be such prolific. a big, so yeah. prolific and be so smart like you have to like you have to do it intentionally totally
2: yes yeah, i don't think that there is any formula i don't think that there's any one way it works which is why uh no one has the answers
0: yeah so you were sort of sonically reintroduced to us through uh, Night Owl. Tell me about making that song and also the music video. Like, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff there, but it's a very involved thing. Costume changes and yes. choreography and...
2: Yeah, it's one of my favorite videos. I was just talking to um, my one of my very good friends, Shanae Lyendecker is my stylist. And uh, that was the first video she and Scarlett, my creative director, and I did together. And I love it. It's like just bold and colorful and fun, but also fashion. And it had like a lot of joy in it, making that video. So I made the, the, my retrograde EP came out in 2017, which had Love You Lately on it. And then I kind of took the first light and space show that we did, uh, the immersive show that I do in Brooklyn. The first one we did was fall of 2017. So we sort of did the whole campaign for Retrograde while I was making Light in Space. And I really spent from like that November of, so it's like just two years now since we started doing Light in Space. So since we did that first one in November, we've done 10 of them. And they're pretty like immersive shows we've done them in. LA with Live Nation, we've done them here. So I spent most of 2018 just writing music, doing what you were saying, writing music, developing what I wanted to do next, and also doing this show. So I like knew that I couldn't really get two things off the ground at once. And I chose to do Light in Space because I had already put that EP out. And, um, I started working with a really amazing producer named Stuart Crichton, who I still work with. I have a writing session with him tomorrow, actually. He's an insanely talented person and has become a mentor of mine. And we Night Owl was the very first song we ever wrote together. I walked in, we did a session, just me and him, and the song just like fell out of me. And I loved it. Just this like mm-hmm. disco tinge. It just felt free and pop but in a way that like had a lot of like a lot of cool to it and well, that cool was it
0: starts in this sort of image and heap like hundred like percent vocoder acapella
2: are you ready can you feel it on your skin the burning babe that you have becoming who you've been Image and Heap is my jam, huge influence on me. Actually, the new music I'm making right now is like very much leaning even more in that direction. But that was, yeah, that was the first thing we did. And uh, I didn't want to wait. I wasn't ready to put the the next EP out yet, so I didn't want to wait. So we uh, put it out, actually at the end of that, we put it out at the very end of 2018, but held the video to put out at the beginning of January. That was sort of the beginning of my year in 2019 of putting out a bunch of music. So I love that song.
0: Again, just hearing it just with like the, the a cappella first and then having the the groove come in and just like this hit you over the head get accented by the video where you have these like very cool costume awesome changes and like this this very sort of subtle like dance and everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now who who choreographed it? Uh
2: the video was choreographed by someone named Amy Gardner, who's a very talented choreographer. She uh also choreographed light and space. When we were going into it, she, I said to her, you know, we're not going to film the choreography sort of top to bottom. I've, I've always played with choreography in my videos or I have in other videos. And, um, I wanted sort of weird, quirky choreography and she built it kind of around like my own, I'm not a dancer, but I would say I used to be, but I, I would say that I'm someone who like can move well. I, I wouldn't, I know like actual dancers, so I wouldn't, (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't, like, offend them by saying I'm a dancer. Uh, but so we created these, like, phra- we created these phrases that I did in every single outfit. There's five outfits in the video. And so we knew we were going to cut them together. So, like, the beginning of one movement would start in one outfit but then finish in another one. We knew that was the vision. And, uh, yeah, she was like, so how quirky do you want to go? And I was like, <laughs> get weird, girl. And the choreography is ripped apart in the comment section on YouTube. It is hilarious. Really? Oh, my God, yeah. it's so funny, I love it. People are like, "I love this song. This video is amazing. This choreography sucks. This is so oh, weird. No. I don't know why she's dancing so weird." And then there's like people <laughs> who reply, being like, "That's the point. Like, this is what it is. Like, <laughs> it's so funny. I love it. I actually love it."
0: Well,
1: the internet's gonna be the internet's yeah. gonna be. No, the it's internet. great yeah. because
2: it means that there's like real people that are like yeah. really engaging with the enga- video. They're engaging
1: with it. Like, I, I think that it's way better to have someone be like, "Oh, I hated that. That was so weird." Than than to present something someone and have them be like have them or have not, or not comment not comment I
2: mean at least people aren't like I hate this song right they're like right. this is amazing I love this song I love this video choreo is strange and then to have people like arguing people who argue in comment section I just love it I love it <laughs> I can't get enough yeah but yeah I love I, we're the, this inspiring we want to stoke
0: the flames more yeah, like come so, through
2: yeah I know myself I know that like if I was ever in a position where I had a song you know do like really well on like a mainstream scale or something and I had like trolls and like people really going in. I will, I'm going to answer them. Like I'm going to, because it doesn't, if something truly offended me, I wouldn't like get involved, but there's just some of them. I think it's funny. And I like to sort of, you know, give a sassy response, you know, sort of the way Rihanna is like you do. If she's like the queen of a clap back on Instagram, I just think it's (laughs) too, it's too fun not to. But that video I do I love that people sort of like hate on the choreo because we <laughs> di- we purposefully did it. So I'm like I'm like great. The the point was to do this sort of odd choreography. So I'm glad that that's what you
0: received. No, oh, 100 yeah. 110%. <laughs> yeah. Are you ready for the question round?
2: Oh my god, I'm ready for the question yeah. round.
1: First question is what is your phone background? My dog. Oh, cute.
2: His name's Alfredo. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Like the, like the sauce. That's like the cheesy. sauce. Well,
2: Fredo. My dad named him Fredo, like from The Godfather, but I call him Alfredo.
1: That's good. Uh, do you have any non-musical hobbies?
2: I love movies. Does that count as a non-musical hobby?
1: Say so. Yes.
2: Yeah, I, I am like a junkie. I like television and movies. Like my intake is crazy. I don't sleep. Same. I love it. And same, books. Same. I read a lot.
1: Uh, do you have a skill that you would like to have?
2: I, I'm not a bad cook, but I'd like to be like a, an amazing mm. cook.
1: I want to yeah. want to cook. <laughs>
0: I want to be
2: able to like, like I'm Italian. Like I want to be able to like make you sauce from scratch and like be that girl. I started cooking this year and I am like not a bad cook, but I'm certainly not one of those people. That's an amazing guy. Yeah.
1: Well, it's it's a different skill to like have efficiency with putting ingredients together and like (sighs) making a meal. But then, yeah, like, you know, as someone who loves food, like, the creativity of aspect like, of it. And those
2: people are like, oh, well, you just feel it. No you feel recipe. It. You I'm go, like, you, you, get out you of go, here.
1: It, like, whenever you watch like people on Top Chef, when they like go into the pantry and they're like, I feel this avocado. Right. And they just like, they have this intuitive sense it's of like- It's a craft. It's a craft. Just like, I mean, I, I relate to it as a producer of just like, oh, I feel like these two sounds will go well together. Like oh I God. get the roadmap to mm-hmm. how people ha- execute that as an art form. Uh-huh. But the actual, like I just haven't put in my 10,000 hours. <laughs> movies
2: movies about chefs are like my jam. <laughs> it's so
1: interesting. Anthony Bourdain is my oh, like- yeah. <laughs> I think producers are like
0: better wired to to be good cooks because like he was saying that sort of framework is already there like okay I'm okay with expo- exploration I'm okay with some things taking some time I'm okay with the render time I'm okay with totally all stuff. the
2: sum of the parts like, making something different than what you would have thought
0: I'm a fucking songwriter I'm like I like songwriting is the hot pockets of the culinary world oh my god that's like, so
2: good yeah and like <laughs> I want to like put it in the microwave and like come out and be done well yeah. that, and that's it's the like thing like,
0: songwri- songwriting I would argue is just like Like, production is a very long, delayed gratification. Like, songwriting is five minute doses of instant gratification totally. it's you get this rhyme right you get this melody right you get this thing right you get that thing right the song is done you get that like you get a pretty much a consistent dopamine fix from like top to bottom
2: i i in songwriting to a workout like some you f- it can be hard when you're doing it like the feeling of like pushing through when you do it but then when you're done you're like i am a champion yeah you i feel it. that <laughs> you have like the sweat you know
1: what is your superpower?
2: My friends and I joke about this all the time. My superpower is that I can turn any oversized T-shirt into a dress.
0: Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. What? What would that? that or like super... any
2: men's shirt into a dress. Like I belt them. I wear. It's it's a thing I do.
1: Would you be a pirate? No. Why? Why not?
2: I'd be like one of the like wenches that they steal. <laughs>
1: I mean, Are fair. those
2: girls like prostitutes? So maybe I just called myself that. That's not what I meant. I just imagined myself in the cute outfit. <laughs> fair play.
1: Fair play. What was your first tattoo?
2: I have Babar, the French. It's like, you know, the elephant?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. From
2: the French yeah. cartoon illustration? Why? I just love
0: it
1: you know that's what what better that's a, that's reason to do reason, something yeah. i also
2: have babar prints hanging in my house so i guess if you like know that i have the tattoo and then see the prints, you're like okay this is getting a bit much
0: did, did you like grow up with it yeah all
2: oh. right we're not french i just had the books <laughs> and then i was in Paris. Oh, I, I, I
0: thought you said we're not friends i'm like i assume you're not friends no. oh my god you
2: shouldn't
1: assume outfit. that we are friends
2: yeah. terrible no i'm not french uh but i had the books we oui. in english
1: We oui, we oui. baguette as the <laughs> french say baguette <laughs> What was your first concert?
2: (gasps) This is such a good story. Okay, short story. My first concert was Celine Dion. Okay. And I didn't know that you don't dress up to go to concerts. I was 10 years old. My Heart Will Go On was like the hit of the town. And I wore a gown. And my mom and dad were like, Are you sure you want to wear that to the concert? And I was like, What do you mean? of course I'm going to wear this to the concert.
1: It's Celine Dion.
2: And it was like a long purple velvet gown with lime green piping.
0: Oh my God.
2: And my mom and dad were like, okay, because I was clearly the kind of child that like you couldn't tell. And I wore the gown and I showed up and obviously no one else was in gowns and I was embarrassed, but I was like, fuck it. I'm like going hard. You're going to own it, And so for my birthday this year, my best friends got me tickets to Celine's uh, concert at Madison Square Garden in February and I cried. Cause I love Celine Dion more than anything. There's a French
0: theme to all
1: of this, isn't
2: there? <laughs> I fucking love French people. I dated a French guy once too. Actually, his name was Pierre. His, his,
1: his name, name was, was Pierre. French and Pierre. Yeah. Wow. You can't. You can't. You can't make that. He stuff looks up. like a
2: Pierre. <laughs> I had a coiff. um He had a like a haircut. Like oh, I, thought he, I
1: thought he had like the beret and like was no, also no. He wasn't a mime. like
2: a mime.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would, that's the only thing that would have made him more French.
2: He was. He had a thick accent though, and he'd be like Ariana. If he ever got mad at me, he'd be like Ariana, Ariana, and I'd be like, oh, okay,
1: whatever.
2: <laughs> it didn't work out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> What's your go-to karaoke song?
2: Ooh, lose yourself by Eminem.
1: Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite movie, favorite book, and favorite TV show? respectively.
2: It's not actually my favorite movie, but when I was younger, I decided that I needed a favorite movie. And so I decided that one fine day, the romantic comedy with Michelle Pfeiffer and George Clooney, which was like old at the time, was going to be my favorite movie. I haven't seen it since, <laughs> but anytime someone asks me what my favorite movie is, I it comes in my head because I decided. I was, again, probably 12 or 11. You were
1: preparing for this interview. It yeah. was like a
2: movie from the early 90s. Like what the hell was One wrong with me? Day. The truth is, is that's not my favorite movie. Um, I think my favorite movie is probably something in the like comedy vein, like a Forgetting Sarah Marshall or something mm, like that. Okay. My favorite book is The Alchemist by Paul Coelho. It's a very good book. I suggest everybody read it. It is amazing.
1: Okay. And favorite TV show? Oh, my God.
2: Currently, I love Schitt's Creek.
1: Hmm. That's a fun show.
2: I also love Fleabag. I also love, oh, my God, so many shows. The White Girl, Basic and Me, Will Forever Love, Gilmore Girls, Sex and the City, Let's Be Honest, but currently Schitt's Creek.
1: A fun fun sitcom
2: also my band makes me watch um peep show
1: uh-huh oh, yeah mm.
2: so that's become a good one but they like put it on and then like no one watches it everyone just recites the lines <laughs> which doesn't make it fun for someone who's never seen Is it. your
1: band British
2: oh uh, some of them okay. once can my my tour managers Canadian my musical directors British they all love it so I now love yeah. it yeah
1: what's the best date you've been on
2: oh my God
1: or just a nice date
2: I I think in general the best dates are are dates that happen in Paris. Didn't <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually didn't meet that guy in Paris. But the best dates I think are dates that aren't meant to be dates, you mm. know, that that you just sort of like meet someone and then you kind of end up on something that's a date. I don't know if this is the best date I've ever been on, but I had an experience with someone where I met them uh, th- at a show. They weren't they weren't like a person, like they weren't like a fan. It was like someone who was there. I was at a festival and we just like hit it off. And it was one of those things where before you know it, you've just been talking to this person for like an extended period of time. And he was really interesting. And it like, didn't dawn on me that he was handsome until I like already thought he was interesting. Uh, and then I sort of realized, I was like, Oh my God, he's actually really cute too. You should like, maybe like try a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> and we exchanged numbers and then he was, he texted me. It was like, would you want to get a drink? And so we went, oh, would you want to get dinner? And we got dinner and we closed the restaurant down. And then we went to a bar and we closed the bar down. Mm-hmm. And it was like that. And it was just one of those things where you just, I think there's few times in life where you meet someone and, and you like have an instantaneous connection. Um, and funny enough, uh, we were both sort of like, uh, coming out of things and, like, it, like, wasn't good timing and we were in a city that neither one of us lived in and we don't live in the same city and I actually have never seen him again. Isn't that crazy? Yeah.
0: Have you ever thought about reaching out again?
2: Oh, we, we like, we, like, are in touch but not really. I, I don't know. A part of me is almost like Why if we it? saw each other again would we ruin it? Yeah. But it is, it is one of those nights where I, like, if that is, like, a real thing, like, damn. You know, you ever have those where you walk away and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if those things are built to last. Yeah. I'd like to think that they are, but I don't know. I'll keep you posted
1: if anything happens. Who knows? I think the answer is who knows. <laughs> but yeah. I, think, I but think that
2: was a good one. That was one yeah. where I, I called a friend of mine the next day and was like, shit, I haven't felt something like that in a long time.
0: Whenever I think I, like, get it, like, whenever I think that, like, a story, like, plot in my life makes sense or like there's like a a thread that it just never. No, you
2: always, you always make like a hard left turn, but yeah, I do think he's a, he is truly one of the, one of the most interesting people I've met. I was like, this Mm is a, you're like a, a, I don't know. You just could talk. I feel like I could just talk to him forever.
0: Maybe that's the appeal of shows like How I Met Your Mother, though, you know, that that you can have all of these like interesting sort of plot points and figure out like how they sort of intersect or or whatever. Because that's the thing. There's no such thing as like an ending story. I mean, unless somebody, you know, like you really are just like done with somebody. If somebody's there, they're there. Well, I guess I
2: guess that that would be a person that like has a question mark. But I don't think about it like I don't dwell on it but if you mention a date it's like the first thing I think of hmm. and at the end of it I was or like halfway through it I was like I think we're on a date which was you know <laughs> I think those are the best
0: yeah. and I'm 100% projecting at the moment so <laughs> yeah I, I'm
2: Hey I, man I, yeah. I maybe maybe my life will be a fairy tale we'll end up together you never know
1: yeah you truly never know
2: just all the witty banter for the rest but, of but, our
1: but life but I think it's been, also I think there is something to be said for like the 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 misconnection or the right, right. The sliding story. doors and we yeah, never the saw sliding doors. each other. Like again. I think For I think sure. that that's like kind of important to the development of like of understanding love, of like understanding that like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. like that 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 you you could fall in love with someone, but that doesn't have to be the your soulmate. Like you could just like you could have a connection with someone oh, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean,
2: I'm a big believer in that. I don't want to get all the way off topic, but I'm <laughs> a, am a big believer in there's some on uh, I think it's Rupi, uh Rupi Kaur, who is an amazing poet. And she sort of says, like, when you fall in love with someone, let it be what it is, whether it's for a minute, a day, s- 10 years, that it doesn't matter, that you just allow it to be what it is and that they can be your soulmate and it can be real love and it can be all of those things. And that when it's meant to it's meant to teach you what it's meant to teach you. And then when it's when you've learned that and when you've gotten what you're meant to get from it, you let it go. And that that could be a lifetime. It's worth that. You know, you hope yeah. you that you find someone like that. And sometimes it's not.
0: Even, like, if you're sad when something doesn't work out or, like, when something ends or or there's a question mark because the timing's not right or whatever. Like, at least I get some comfort in remembering that there was a time when I wondered if we would ever see each other ever. Or I, there, I get some comfort in thinking that there was a time when I didn't know that this person even existed. For and sure. And now I know, like, little pieces of trivia or inside jokes or, you know, things that, that you kind of earn.
1: It's like the, how I met your mother thing, like the, <laughs> where it would, it's like when you're in a relationship with someone, like you, you g- build up all this knowledge and the knowledge doesn't go anywhere. But then like when Barney's trying to court Robin, he like teaches, he like teaches a university course on like how to be in a relationship with this specific person. Cause he's like, I learned all these things about this specific person. That's so, so funny. It's, and, then they, like,
2: yeah, and then he like actually well, uses it. Yeah. And then he like, Yeah, well, I, <laughs> don't, I don't know because you take those things with you. I don't believe in that. I think that if you really listen, not every relationship is like the love thing. Not every relationship is this deep connection, but I'd like to believe that the real ones that you really did fall in love and it didn't work out. It's not like the love disappears. You know, if you had respect for that person and for what you shared, you take it with you. I think yeah. it shapes life, who you life are, long, you know, but a hundred percent. And like all of those things are add, add on to like your, you know, your patches and your, your things that make you a person. And I have had terrible experiences in relationships and I've had amazing experiences, in relationships. And I feel like I can't, I can't try and black out the things that were hard or bad because ultimately I wouldn't be mean literally right now if I hadn't experienced those things. So I try and at least where I'm at in my life now, I just try and take it all and it gets mixed up together. Cause that's, that's life. You can't change that.
0: Gotta just just grow up and grow and move with it,
1: yeah. I yeah. I think I think no matter what, a year from now you'll be whistling a different tune. And on that note, can you whistle?
2: Oh my God, yes, I oh, can. Oh, I, I
1: like the segue. Because I, I was gonna I was gonna do a
0: callback joke and be like, and it's uh, like the French always say, baguette. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> that um, nice. I can Very
2: whistle. Right? Am I? You're gonna ask me to whistle?
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah, what do, do I whistle? Do either Night Owl or Love You Lately? Oh my God, that's hard. <laughs>
1: Right. Yeah. Right? You, proved you, you proved whistle. that you can. you can whistle. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, do you have a scar, or any scar? Yes, have I have story. a scar on
2: my knee, Is there a on my story left knee, behind it. Uh, when I was, I don't remember how old I was. A kid. I was in Vermont, and it was the winter time. So I'm not really sure how this happened, but I was riding my bike with a friend, and I fell into the grass <laughs> off my bike and split my <laughs> knee open, and. Uh, he had I couldn't walk cause like my whole knee was split yeah. open. Also like what the hell was in the grass? And my friend carried me, like scooped me up and <laughs> carried me. He later went into the Navy. So I feel like his heroic tendencies were like in him from a young age. And he like carried me across the snow because it was winter in vermont and my like blood was dripping on the snow and they were like you can get stitches or we can give you a butterfly band-aid and you like can't bend your knee and i was so terrified of the pain of stitches that i got the butterfly band-aid so now i have a scar on my left knee
1: nice i'll do it i'll definitely do it my favorite question what are three thoughts you have at this very moment
2: that i like your hair color that's red thank you that's is that your real hair color yes that's cool ginger um what's another thing that it's getting dark early is what i was actually just thinking mm-hmm. um and that this has been such a lovely conversation
0: oh likewise yeah, yeah likewise <laughs> it's been a whole sort of day of
1: chat so it's nice. Been really yeah. nice yeah it's
0: just friendship
1: that's the power of friendship power
2: back of friendship. to our theme. themes yeah ah uh, friendship on a baguette
1: <laughs> uh what are you most proud of
2: currently actually i'm most proud of I'm in a, I'm in like a very, uh, recently feeling like I'm in a very like open, emotional place and, um, and like creatively and from a, like a work perspective, I feel very open and I've worked hard to like have some inner peace and, uh, self-worth and those kinds of things that I think challenge us as we are artists. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud of of getting to a place. I feel like I've, I fought for that for myself. I have like professional accomplishments, certainly light and space is something I'm very proud of. But honestly, I in this moment, I, I, nothing makes me feel more proud than not feeling super negative and feeling like I want to quit all the time.
1: Yeah. That feels really good. That's And it's no small thing.
2: It is. It is no small thing. It's and small it's thing. definitely ongoing. And, you know, I had a, an experience where literally this past Saturday, I was in a writing session and I was like, my brain was like going haywire and I was like feeling really insecure. And as I was in the session, I was like, you are doing poorly in the session. Um, I was like, your ideas suck. You're not, you know, it's like, I was like beating myself and I hadn't felt that way in so long. Like I've really worked to like not feel that way. And it was crazy because after the session was over, I was like, holy shit, how did you live your life like that for so long? Hmm. Like, I think I was like that forever. Like I was like literally like making light in space and putting songs out. And I was like, this is terrible. You don't deserve this. No one's going to care. Like I, I really, I really was like crazy hard on myself and really negative. And it's, it was something that I have worked really, really hard to kind of move through. And I think a lot of musicians and a lot of people in any, I think a lot of people in general period, no matter what you do struggle with that, but especially in something like, like music and songwriting, that's so up and down. I just decided one day, I was like, you gotta, you gotta f- sort this out. Cause like success or no success, like you, you gotta, you gotta fix it for yourself. So well, that's this, something no matter if you have of.
0: success, like if you can't live inside your own head,
2: it's only it, going it, to compound it. Only gonna compound, so, yeah. so like worst case scenario is you hate yourself and become super successful. So you can't yeah. even and, fix it and then by doing well. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. How, that so, sounds like hell. And obviously subsequently as the story goes, as soon as you sort of get some peace and and start to feel those things and it all of a sudden seems like doors open for you and people, you know, I feel like I've met all these people and, you know, things that felt like they had so much pushback now feel frictionless and that's uh, obviously what they tell you will happen, but you can't, you can't possibly like do that. Well, Just because someone says it, you have to live it for yourself. I was mentioning it
0: earlier, but like, I think this year was the first time in in literally 5 or 6 years where I felt like everything was fine like and my brain like went on fire. Well,
2: it's like your brain is like, "Oh, wait, we like might be at peace, like something might be okay. Let me like light a match to it all." And yeah. I I I was with someone uh, recently and she she's probably in her early 50s and she's worked at labels and ran labels and has been like an unbelievable mentor to me and she was like, "Yeah, I think that you definitely like had a self-sabotage thing going on. And it, I and I I was said to her, I was like, I don't even know if it was self-sabotage. It was like, I had convinced myself I didn't deserve it. Even things I was getting, even things that were like happening. So you couldn't even take them away from me because they had happened. I was like, no, 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 it doesn't matter. Yeah. Everyone was like, that's crazy. Uh, and I was like, well, does it doesn't matter because like I'm not selling out Radio City. So like, who cares? <laughs> It was that. Well, it was, I, I it think was like insane. It,
0: I, in my own head, I think it, it was more, okay, well, if this is all good, it's not moving. So how do I get something that's moving? How do I, like, I think my brain just constantly wants to solve problems, yeah, even just, if it means making problems. Yeah, you know? and you're it's always like, looking
2: at what's next. And so, yeah, I think, you know, had you asked me that question a year ago, I would have given you a, a professional accomplishment, hmm. which I am very much proud of those things. and But I don't feel like it is the thing to be most proud of anymore because- I feel like I worked really, really hard for some, like, personal growth, which I, like, really was the definition of standing in your own way, which subsequently has led to some, like, professional openings which and personal openings and things like that. So that feels really nice.
1: Yeah. And on that note, what are you most excited for?
2: I'm making new music, which I'm very excited for. And I've been writing a lot. So I'm writing for me and I'm writing for other people. So I'm excited to see where that goes and kind of what comes of those things. I don't... I don't have anything concrete to tell you. I will be. I'm making. I'm in the process of making constellations phase two. Phase two.
0: Yeah. So I'm very excited about
2: that uh, and figuring out the plans for light and space, which is definitely something that has been a highlight for me as an artist, as a person, as a creator. People come to that show, and I feel like it's. It is about me, but it's not about me. You mean you guys have been and. I so badly wanted to make something that felt truly inclusive, really allowed people to to drop their inhibitions, to feel like they could introduce themselves to a stranger, that they were in an environment that, like, if they went up and talked to someone or danced with someone, that they would be open and it felt safe. It didn't feel weird. It didn't feel judgmental. Someone was like, well, what's the goal? And I was like, I want people to leave the show saying, wow, that's, that's the most fun I've had in as long as I can remember, which is a really lofty thing to try and achieve, <laughs>
0: Well, We have fun. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it was um, a cool night.
2: And I feel like we do that, and people come up to me after shows and say stuff like that, and that feels special. That feels like you made something for other people with your art, with your creativity. Uh, well, we
0: selfishly hope for more on the West Coast. Thank you.
2: I shall. I'm working on it. I'm <laughs> working on it. Um, but yeah, that's. I'm excited to figure out kind of the next steps for what Light and Space is, and to make new music and to put it out
0: well hey we're equally excited we'll we'll be keeping tabs and thank you so much for coming on it's been awesome talking to you today oh
2: my god it was so fun
1: We would like to thank Jägermeister and Isotope for their early support of Talking Lion.